That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Shane Raymer. You're listening to That Sober Guy podcast, and we help people stay sober. Glad you're here today. If it's your first time, welcome. Got a great guest for you today. Get to him in just a minute. His name is Sam Morris. He's from Vermont. He went to college in North Carolina on a tennis scholarship. Later entered the corporate world where he went on to battle a 15-year cocaine and alcohol addiction. Uh, Today he's sober. He's found his place in helping other men heal from all the shit they're scared to talk about. I don't think you can put it any more simple than that. I know there's a lot of dudes out there who struggle with this, so I'm really stoked to have this convo with Sam today. Uh, We're going to get to him in just a minute. Be sure to check us out at thatsoberguy.com. You can follow us on Instagram at thatsoberguypodcast. I'd love it if you check out the sober community on locals that sober guy podcast on locals it's kind of like instagram meets patreon you can help support us but in addition to that you can be part of a growing sober community to help stay accountable and of course have some fun in the process um i've noticed the engagement going up in that uh community quite a bit lately and that was uh the goal when i started it a few months back just to slowly have it grow and uh, be a great place for and a, a safe place at that for people to share and have a good time so i'd love to have you join right now you can download the locals app or you can go to that sober guy podcast.locals.com both those links are in the show notes <coughs> excuse me in addition uh to the daily zoom fourth dimension or support meeting which uh all the links today will be in the show notes so you can get the the zoom meeting in there if you want that uh but you can also check out how to navigate the first 90 days of sobriety it's a podcast digital course we put together a while back if you're struggling uh, i know how crucial those first 90 days are and uh, we got together with some friends some podcasters some doctors to discuss and share how we stayed sober in the first 90 days what we did what worked what didn't work uh what we learned um, and, uh, it, it is a great place to start. If you're looking for some info, it's helped a lot of people stay sober. I think we have over 160 members in there who've taken the course. We've had some great feedback. So you can check that out at that sober slash courses. And then last but not least, I was pumped on this. We put out some new hoodies and some new t-shirts this week. Uh, sobriety shaper hoodies, the shred sober one, uh, that sober guy podcast. we got some hats coming on the way too. And, uh, Tyler, uh, just to holler at you, man, I sent your stickers out from Cali to Montana. They went out yesterday. So by the way, thanks for the support in buying some of the new gear as well. Uh, appreciate you guys. If you use the promo code, no hangover, you'll get free shipping through the month of May. And uh, I think that is it on the announcements today. I'm uh, excited to talk to Sam today. Uh, He's coming to us uh, all the way down from Mexico at the moment. And uh, I'm going to introduce him right now. Sam, it's good to have you on the podcast today, my friend. How are you? I'm great, man. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, dude. So um, we we kind of connected. I I gave you a follow on Instagram not too long ago. I was checking out uh, some of, some of your work that you're doing. Um, definitely inspiring to say the least. You've had your own struggle with addiction. Um, you know, over 15 years of struggling with it. And uh, maybe maybe we can start by uh, just introducing, if you'd introduce yourself a little bit about your background um, and kind of what that uh, what that looked like uh, to those listening out there. Yeah. Uh, so again, my name is Sam Morris and, um, my addiction was fueled by, um, 
uh, fueled by a lack of self-love and a need to be saved. And that came from my childhood, which for the longest time, I and mean, basically until I got sober, I would look back at my childhood and say, that was amazing. You know, playing a lot of golf and tennis every summer, skiing on the mountains in Vermont every winter. Um, the family would take trips. There was like, you know, birthday parties. And it was just on the surface. And like, from my, my perception, it looked really great. Yeah. But there was things underlying that, that I, that I kind of operated over. And tennis became, you mentioned tennis scholarship. Tennis became one of the things you know, I, I could say it was a Band-Aid, but that's doing that's disrespecting tennis because tennis really provided me a lot of things growing up. It provided me a validation, provided me acceptance, it provided me safety. Um, I was really good at it. I mean, it, it did a lot of things for me, too. But it really, it, it did definitely have an, a, an aspect to it where it was covering up some stuff that I wasn't looking at. Yeah. And so, you know, when I got to college, I, I played tennis through college, and then my senior year, my coach was like, you know what, he's like, you're burnt out. Like you can, it's obvious, like you don't show up at practice and I was, you know, yeah, I was like, you're right. Like, I'm, I'm just not like, I've, I played tennis every day since I was eight years old. At this point yeah. I was like 23. And so, um, that, that was really a shift in my life because, you know, for that, for the longest time, tennis was like the number one, like that was it. Like I was going to be a professional tennis player, follow Andre Agassi on the pro tour. Um, you know, that was my thing, like hundred percent, no questions asked. And then when tennis fell away, you know, I didn't, I didn't really have much to stand on. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I did a lot of searching, like not, not like spiritual searching like we do now, but like I just did a lot of like reaching more so for things. What's going to make me feel good? What's going to give me that validation? What's going to give me that safety? What's going to do this for me? And so going back to childhood, you know, I was super sick as a kid. I had really, really bad asthma, a really long list of food, environmental allergies, I just tendency to choke on my food a lot when I was a kid. And so all that stuff is related to breath, right? So like, you know, choking on food, your, your throat's clogged. Having an allergic reaction, anaphylaxis, your throat closes up. Asthma, your lungs stop working. So I had this severe trauma really around like fear of not being able to breathe. Yeah. And so for my whole childhood, basically that core belief, you know, zero to seven or eight years old, my core belief was that like, I, I can't trust my body. Um, self-love wasn't even a thing. Like I, I, I can get on that in a second, but like I couldn't trust my body and other people would always save me when I had an asthma attack or an allergic reaction. So I learned that like, I'm not okay in the world unless I'm saved. And so going and tennis, tennis did, did that for me. It provided me, it got me a college on a scholarship. It, it gave me validation. It gave me accolades. I got trophies and won tournaments and all these things that tennis gave me. But at the same time, like it allowed me not to look at like that trauma. And so when I finally stopped playing tennis, you know, it was, that was the shift that really like I would drink before that and like smoke weed, do a few drugs here and there, but it wasn't, it was nothing out of control. It was nothing alcoholic about it. Cause I always had tennis as a, on the pedestal as a priority. And so without that tennis, um, you, you know, I just had nothing to turn to. And so I, I started just drinking more, partying more. And then it, it was, you know, for the first three to five years, it was, it was pretty fun. You know, there were some bad nights, but yeah. for the most part, you know, they, they, we always say like, it was a lot of fun. It was a little fun with a lot of bad. And that was all bad. Mm. And that's the way it went for me for 15 years, you know, like from 23 to 33, I held on, I, I held jobs. I held girlfriends. I, I did all the things that I would go out and make week warrior, but you know, at 33, something shifted and I, I got a DUI. I went to rehab. And then from there, I couldn't hold together. 
I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't keep a job. I couldn't keep a girlfriend. I, and, and this is when like all that trauma, all that pain, like started to show up for me. And so from 33 to 38, I bounced in and out of rehabs. I was sober for 60, 90, 120 days, uh, 11 months at one time. Mm. And it was just, I mean, I was on the path, but I wasn't willing to do any of the work. I was like, yeah. this is going to osmosis, right? Like rehab, fix me. Girlfriends, fix me. Parents, fix me. Jobs, fix me. Like it was all those, the external stuff. And so, you know, that, and that was that learned behavior from childhood where I was like, if I have an asthma attack or I eat a peanut or I'm choking on food, like someone's going to come rush and save me. And so yeah. I learned, that's how I learned. Like it, that ran so deep for me that like, in relationships, for example, or not for example, like within relationships, I had that underlying story of I need to be saved. So I would go into the relationship and as soon as that girl said, I love you, subconsciously, I defined that love to mean you're responsible for saving me now. No matter what happens, I might, I might be an asshole. I might show up like a piece of shit. I might do something bad, but it's okay. I'm just creating chaos so you can save me. Yeah. And this was like you know, unspoken, but at the same time, like that's how I was that's how I like that subconscious programming was showing up for me. And so, you know, I, that, that's saving. It was honestly like when I would feel insecure in the relationship, I would create chaos. So that saving became like a proof of love. Like if you save wow. me, that means you're showing me that you love me. And so I, cause I didn't love myself. Yeah. I had no self love and the self love thing. When I, so when I was 38 years old, uh, November 21st, 2012, I was sitting at my kitchen table, pile of cocaine, bottle of rum, and just like sitting there and like I had nothing, no friends. I was moving out of my house. I had to move out of my house and I was so scared and just like all of that, everything, the trauma, the alcoholism, the addiction, the guilt, the shame, the pain, all of it was just like right there in my face. And that was the, that over the next nine months or year, it became clear that like I had never loved myself. Mm. Like I had, I, and it wasn't even that I didn't love myself. It was almost like a resentment of myself because I couldn't trust my body. And so over the next, so it's been a little over eight years now, you know, it's been a, a journey of, it started with self-love and then, then it went into handling the social anxiety and the addiction. Cause that sick being sick as a kid created a lot of like difference, you know, dissonance between me and my peers. Like I was different. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't eat peanuts. I couldn't eat cake. I couldn't go to parties. I, I didn't like to go to parties. So there's like this big gap, which fast forward to adulthood was social anxiety. Yeah. And then that led to, and then there was depression there from being so just feeling exhausted all the time from worrying and that fight or flight constantly, it just, it manifested into depression. And so ever since uh, 38, yeah, 38 years old, it's just been a journey for self of self love for me, really. Like that's really when it boils down to you talk about simplicity of my purpose, yeah. like the simplicity of it is like, how do I love myself more? It's because a- I never did that. It's, it's so good, bro. And I know that I know how much of a struggle that can be for so many people out there, including myself, man. Like I'm, I'm my own worst enemy. And I find that a lot in talking to, especially dudes, like we are the hardest on ourselves. We don't know how to love ourselves, um, especially if we're not working in that. Uh, and one thing I wanted to ask you, um, you kind of alluded to this and it's funny, man, cause this has came up a couple times in this last week, one with my wife and then one on the, on a different podcast I did. Um, a buddy of mine, TJ Woodward, he talks, um, we've had some good conversations about, it's not so much about learning new stuff. It's about unlearning all that old crap that we've been programmed to think over the years. And that kind of sounds a lot like what you're talking about. Has that been a big part of your journey is unlearning the stuff versus learning new stuff? 
Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, and you know what it really comes down to is like all that chaos, like that was familiar. Yeah. Like we, we, like we love familiar. Our egos love familiar. And so familiar is the only thing familiar is, is familiar. It doesn't yeah. mean happy. It doesn't mean advancement. It doesn't mean growth. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. It just means familiar. Yeah. And it's comfortable and our egos love it. So for me, it was like unlearning how to default to chaos. Unlearning how to default to self-sabotaging so I get saved. Like unlearning those stories. And like everyone says, you know, rewrite your narrative. I, love, I like to scratch that and just say, let's, let's write a whole damn new narrative. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> like, yeah, I like that. That's what I need. I, need, I, need to, I, I, didn't, I didn't have the luxury to just rewrite and tweak and edit. Like I had to yeah. scrap it. Start over, <laughs> write the whole damn thing over. That's good though, man. It's that it's that fresh start. You get a new perspective. You get a new, uh, you know. It's like being uh, born again almost. You know, in some in some aspect, mm. just completely renewed. Um, I have a couple good good points and good things that that uh, you know we that you kind of had mentioned um, when we talked about setting this up, one of them was the power of surrender. And I kept the parentheses in there, not a typo, and you're, you're gonna elaborate why, but you spelled surrender, S-U-R-R-N-D-R. So what, what is that about? So uh, I had an experience with surrender at the end of last year where it was, just, it, was a, it was a ceremony and I just had this amazing, powerful moment of surrender. And it was like, for that moment, like, it's, it's tough to say this, but like, I'm not going to say like, there was a lot of, like my whole life was a lie before that, but, but like, I had some major, major misunderstandings about fight, about doing, mm. about like being, showing up and doing the work and all this stuff. And it was like, in that moment, I realized that the reason I left the ease out of surrender is because in order to fully surrender and fully surrendering is the most absolute, it's, it's a magic bullet. It's the magic bullet to happiness. It's the magic bullet to relationships, connection. It's a magic bullet to every experience you have, if there was a magic bullet. And I realized that like the last thing that we hold on to before we surrender is our ego. Yeah. Because the ego doesn't want you to surrender. To, to the ego, surrender is unsafe. And the ego, thank you very much, ego. Like you keep me safe, that's great. But that safety, the ego's definition of safety and my definition of safety can, can be different. Yeah, And so like for me, safety is like letting go of all the fears and the chaos and the stories and the chatter and the anxiety and surrendering to what's happening right now. Like, what is this experience teaching me? What am I, what, what, where am I going to go from here? Like what in this moment, what's happening right now? Like getting really like somatic and embodied about it. Yeah. And from, and from there, like the reason I left these out is because you have to drop the ego if you want that full surrender. That's good, man. I like that. Yeah. That ego, <laughs> man, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a daily thing, man. At least for me, like I'm always trying to be aware of it. It pops up when you least expect it. And, uh, you know, I guess just being aware of it is a good first step in that pro and, you know, admitting to it too, as a dude is not always easy. You know, like we all have egos to some extent. I don't know that it'll ever disappear completely. Um, but you know, Hey, we're going to do our best to try. Right. <laughs> yeah. The ego, I, I do business consulting too. And like one of the things that always comes up in businesses is uh, in the corporate culture. It says, because we've always done it that way. That's the ego's yeah. favorite thing. Like yep. back that out of the organization, do a personal thing, but we've always done it this way. So let's do it that way. Like, well, that hasn't worked. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Do something different. <laughs> I know it's funny. I find like uh, the corporate, like it, that's a, it's a really, uh, I've heard it many times. So well, we've always done it like that. And it's like, well, 
Not only does it not work, but there's like 10 extra steps that are costing a shitload of money. Like in that process, yeah. we can just do it in three steps. Like, come on, let's like re yeah. let's rethink this. But um, so many things wrong with that statement. Yeah. Um, a, cu a couple of other things, man. You said uh, why you need to stop settling for hope and step into belief. Uh, that, this is one yeah. I was curious about, man. What's your take on that? Yeah, so actually I just did a TED Talk about this. And the thing about it is, is that to boil it down, hope is a rocking chair. It's movement. Like you're doing, like you're thinking and cycling and you're, you're rocking, but you're not advancing. There's not, you're not going anywhere with hope. So hope, hope has, uh, it does serve a purpose. Like there is actually value to hope, but hope is that, that glimmer of hope that we, we all get when we get, when we first get sober, like, oh my gosh, it's going to be okay. That's the glimmer of hope you need. But like, once you start getting in that cycle of hoping, it's the same as worry. Mm. Worry and hope are the exact same thing. It's just that worry has this negative connotation and hope gets is romantic and sexy and people love it. But really they're stagnant energies. Like you get, you get in the cycles of hope and the cycle of worry. It feels so good to do it because you're, you're basically like your body and your mind are miscommunicating in that your, your mind is telling your body, we're doing something about this, mm. but you're really not like you have. And the only thing that, after hope must come action. And the only thing that's going to fuel action, if you don't believe in yourself, you're never going to take action because like, Oh, I'm not going to do that. Cause I'm going to fail anyways. Yeah. Or like, it's not, that never worked for me anyways. Like, I'm, you know, it's uh, that lack of belief is what keeps you in that hoping cycle, which keeps you stagnant, which keeps you sick, which keeps you addicted, which keeps you depressed. It keeps you anxious. The, they need that you need to have this belief in yourself, this self love, this belief in yourself, to fuel the action that hope tricks or triggers you into taking. Do you, do you think that, that, that's that belief, um, initially starts with the self love? Is that, would that be a good way to kind of line the two up? If you get that aligned, it's going to be that much easier to really believe in yourself, to believe in others, to trust, like all that stuff. Do you think it aligns? Pretty yeah. Well? Um, so self love is the basis for I, you know, most things. Yeah. <laughs> I think that when, when we're, whatever we're trying to do, like I read a book, um, I, was, I was going through a heartbreak a couple of years ago, three or four years ago. And I read this book by Kamal Ravikant called uh, love yourself. Like your life depends on it. And he has this one, this one thing that stuck with me forever is like this one phrase that you ask yourself, if I really love myself, what would I do? If I really love myself, what would I do? Cause you're going to know the answer pretty quickly right there. Yeah. Like when you, cause you, like, if it's like boil it down to like a nutrition thing, like if you really love yourself, would you eat that extra five pieces of cake? Cause it might taste good right now, Yeah. but you're going to, you're going to feel fat. You're going to feel bloated. You're going to feel like shit emotionally after you eat it. Like that's not self love. Yeah. You know, and there's a time to eat five pieces of cake. It's just not right now on a Wednesday night and there's no reason to do it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So if you can, if you can like, if you're, if you're in there with, like wondering about what to do. If you're, you're like, I, I need to do this. I need to take action. And you want that belief. Ask yourself, what would you really do? If, what would you do if you really loved yourself? And then from there, you're going to have your answer immediately. I promise. Yeah. And then from there, you just, you, it takes the courage and the, and the, to actually do the action.
Yeah, that's good. I, I love that example too with the with the cake because I know um, <laughs> it, for a lot of us, obviously, we're in recovery. We struggled alcohol, drugs. That stuff can can kind of carry over. And for me, one of them has been food, like sugar. Sugar is a, mm. a very common thing, yeah. and, and we've done podcasts so on it. Yeah, it is. It's so hard. It's a drug, and and you get those little dopamine hits, and you get it. You get addicted to it too. And I, I I've had times in my own my own journey of sobriety where. I'll, I'll struggle with stuff, whether it's stress or, um, you know, just going through a, a rough day or whatever. And there's, there's a self-destructive mechanism that still is there and says, let's eat 16 cupcakes right now. Fuck it. Cause I'm just ready. Like, and, ju- and you just go for it. And, it, it yeah. and, and, and then, and then you feel like, like, just like you said, you feel terrible afterwards. And, um, you know, so it, it is, it is a battle, man. And you're right. It starts with, with having some self love. And I, I really love that question. I took a note of that. If I really yeah. love myself, what would I do? So I'm gonna try to keep that in in the pocket there uh, for those moments, man. Yeah. Another thing that I find too, like along that same self love thing, is that uh, people hate the words discipline and accountability. Mm. They just don't like them because it's again, it gets it's like negative. Like if I'm disciplined, I I'm never gonna have fun. It's prison accountability. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. Really, <laughs> really, accountability and discipline when they when you internalize them are the highest forms of self love. Like if you can look at discipline as like, I'm disciplined about what I eat, about going to the gym, about meditation, about reading and journaling, that discipline is only re- re- reinforcing your self-love. Sorry, I had to take a note of that too. That's good. Accountability, <laughs> That's good. Account- accountability and discipline are the highest forms of self-love. And you're right. They are kind of, there is kind of a, a, a stigma around those words that uh, are a bit, scary maybe they scare you out well i don't want to accountability you yeah. know it's, but yeah you're, you're right man because you're sticking to it you're kind of sticking to and you're showing you're, yourself that you're important yeah yeah that's good like that's I, good. i'm important enough to treat myself right mm-hmm. um what about taking ownership man and how like how does uh being vulnerable um kind of go hand in hand with taking ownership of whatever the topic may be well so yeah that's a great question great way to phrase that um so vulnerability and ownership go together in the sense that you can't take ownership around something that you don't admit or you don't look at. Um, you know, like one of the things that one of the phrases I love is that uh, a warrior doesn't look away. Yeah. If you don't, if you look away, that's not vulnerable. That's, you know, cowering or whatever you want to call it. But the thing about ownership is like, if you want real happiness, if you want real freedom in your life, You've got to take ownership for every choice, every decision, every behavior, every relationship, how you show up. And the only way to do that is to get real fucking vulnerable with yourself. Yeah. And if, and then that, that doing that with yourself, like being honest, like know thyself, right? Like being super honest and vulnerable with yourself will allow you to, it'll, it'll allow that whatever you need to look at to come in. And then from there, you know, in relationships, for example, like, if you don't communicate your, your, your insecurities or your fears, like how do you, how's that person ever going to treat you, treat you well? Yeah. Cause like if you act from a place of fear, basically not taking ownership and then that, that somehow negatively affects the relationship, you're, you're creating problems in the relationship. It's not sustainable. So you have to be willing to get, get vulnerable and take ownership for like, it's doing the shadow work. It's doing the, the looking at your parts. It's like doing all that stuff. And then taking ownership for like, this is how I show up. And then taking ownership for the process to heal it. Like, you know, like I always say, like the programming you received as a child is not your responsibility. 
but it is your responsibility to own it and to readjust it or fix it however you need to do it. Yeah. Have you uh have you read uh the Four Agreements, Don Miguel Ruiz? <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> I have, and I just actually uh, like yesterday, I just downloaded the Audible because no I way. joined a, I joined a yeah I joined a WhatsApp group strictly about the Four Agreements. Really? Yeah, you just you just a couple things yeah. you've said have reminded me of that, so I, I figured I'd mention it. But such a great great book, and one of the agreements, just not taking things personal too. That's been a big uh, uh-huh. a big struggle for for me and my walk, and I know a lot of people struggle with that because we you know that programming as kids, if we grew up in a house that where there was chaos or abuse or, you know, we can really tend to take shit personal as we went into um, adulthood and that's been a, a yeah. tough one, you know, a tough one to, to, to battle. Yeah. Uh, judgment's a huge one there. I was mm. just talking with a, with a guy on, uh, and he was like, you know, how do you deal with the judgments of other people when you're, when you, when you want to go do something? And I said, I said to him, I said, you know, really honestly, like, you can only judge yourself. Mm. Like the only judgment that can ever be true is you judging yourself. Why? Like if, if someone's judging you for going off and for me, like moving to Mexico, someone's judging me for that. That's because I internally have a judgment about it. Mm. And that's taking things personally. Like if I'm taking other people's judgments personally, yeah, it's because I feel it's like that. Everyone's a mirror. I, I feel something inside of me that, that I need to look at. Yeah. Cause nobody, literally nobody can judge you. If they do, that's their own shit. Yeah. As do with you and and it, and if they are we're allowing them to do that right wouldn't that be a kind 100%. of a way to put it like we're yeah I mean, we're that, letting them that's affect a boundary this. conversation yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah for real um yeah this is good man I'm, I'm enjoying this this chat i uh um yeah. what, what one of the things just to kind of to put it blunt and I, I mentioned this in the intro like how do you you know so speaking to the dudes out there in particularly a lot of dudes listen to the show obviously how do you help men deal with the shit they're scared to talk about like what what are some of the things that you do and that you found work so the first thing is create a container create a space that they can come and not feel judged and not feel that fear because what it really is the things they're scared to talk about they got broken up with when they were 11 years old or their friends threw a snowball at them when they were eight and it's like they got picked on the bus like and these are the things that no one ever like you you internalize that because it is so uncomfortable yeah. It was so uncomfortable in the moment that there's no way that I can talk about it right now. So now the guy is, you know, at work showing up in a, in a way like he's showing up as the kid that got a snowball thrown in his head out of work at work yeah. or in a relationship. He's showing up as the kid that got broken up with when he was 11. So basically the, the, they show up as I can't, I can't be real. I can't be who I am. I can't be, I'm not safe in this environment to, to talk about or, or to be myself because when I was myself, when I was eight or 11 years old, I got rejected for it. Mm. And so now they feel unsafe. So if I tell my wife that I have this insecurity around going to McDonald's, I mean, it could be anything, yeah. you know, and the, but like that to the man, what they do is they, they basically just like fast forward that from like, okay, if I tell my wife that she's going to leave me and I'm going to die because I'll be alone and that's it. I, and being alone is the worst. Yeah. So there's all this stuff that they're scared to say, because if they do, they're going to lose something they have, the job, the girl, the family, the car, the, the money, whatever it may be, the friends. Like if you open up to your friends, like, oh, they're going to think I'm a weirdo. Yeah. You know, like all these things, but they, these things don't just like go away on their own. Like the, more, the less you talk about them, they snowball. And now you got a big ass snowball inside of you of like this shit that you're scared to talk about. 
And so what I do is I create these either retreats or group coaching programs or my one-on-one coaching where like I, it's a safe, it's like this, this environment is completely safe. You can say whatever that you can scream, cry, yell. I don't care what you do. Like this is the place that I want you to come so that you can feel safe. Say what you need to say so that when you go back into your relationship, when you go back into your job, you're a better, more solid human being. It's good, dude. Yeah, so that's, that's like meditation's big there. Journaling is big there. Breath work is huge. Like there's like tangible things you can do, but really it's about just like seeing the man, hearing the man, loving the man. And from there, like it, it's amazing. I mean, that was my healing, and so like to provide that for other men is just amazing. Yeah, there, you just mentioned breath work. There's a friend of mine I was in uh, a meeting in the other day, and I found out they do a a, a um, it's just a I think it's Zoom or online uh, breath work meeting. Like, I think it's every Saturday or something. I've been wanting to check that out because I've heard quite a bit about that. It kind of falls in with meditation and just learning how to sit, right, and just be. Um, some, yeah. I mean, that's th- there's definitely breath, like focus on your breath and meditation. That's that's one form of breath work. But when you do, like, dedicated breath work, there's a reason it's called breath work. It's because it's work. Huh. Like, you're doing, like, there's patterns to breathing. There's numbers you follow. There's there's body motions, there's, there's fire breath, there's like all these different, like Wim Hof breath, there's all these different breath holds, and, and you hold at the top, you hold at the bottom, there's, there's, it, it breaks through your psyche, is what it does, really? it breaks through, like, you know, it's, it's equivalent to the, like a psychedelic stuff without the psychedelics, like, yeah. when you get into that altered, that breath work state, like, things just happen in your body, like, you're moving energy through your body, so traumas get released, huh. and things become clear, and like, the fight or flight decreases, and usually they last like 60 to 90 minutes. And it's just the facilitator will take you through a, a process, usually like maybe like three or four rounds, 15 minutes a piece, where one of them is like a calmer, deeper breath. The other one's like a real fast pace, like breaking through stuff huh. breath. And then there's, there's, there's a couple other uh, modalities in there. But yeah, so the meditation breath is a little different than the actual breath work. So, so are you and on the regular breath work? Are you are you standing? Are you sitting? Are your eyes closed, open? Does it matter, or what does that look like? Um, you can do definitely not standing. Okay. Um, I mean, you can do stand. I've done standing, but it's I mean, you get like yeah, you get lightheaded. You could fall you over, in other words, like you, I mean, yeah, you're like hyper oxygenating your body, so you're gonna like, you, you, and again, like you're gonna experience some things. Yeah. So ideally, laying down is like the ideal way to do it for me. Um, sit, there's there's some like Kundalini yoga offers some stuff where you're sitting up, and there's there's some other there's some other. Um, modalities where you're sitting there you know in in like the lotus position or indian style and breathing but i find it most effective when you can lay down because when you can lay down you know you're 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 supported fully on your body like if you're sitting up you're kind of like holding yourself up and the more that you can release the physical stuff and just like lay back and and do the breathing the more the better the deeper the effect is going to be Got it. I'm going to, I'm going to have to check that out. Cause I, I've just never taken the time to kind of pursue it. And it's, it's came up a couple of times lately and it sounds really interesting. Thank you for explaining it a bit too. Cause I, yeah, I've had some major breakthroughs in breath work. Really? Just in, in yeah. the, in the, in the, in that space or whatever, like you said, you're able to kind of get into a different, uh, a different space, different headspace. Yeah. You you kind of travel, you kind of do some astral travel. Like you really mm-hmm. go to a different place and in there is healing in there is like is is release and breakthroughs and all it's amazing like definitely check it out 
Right on, man. I'm enjoying this uh, this convo. Before we wrap it up today, um, I want to fi- find out, uh, and I'll put all the links for everyone listening in the show notes today. So, uh, and I'll have Sam give those out in just a second here. But um, if there's someone struggling out there, uh, they don't really know uh, where they're at, how to reach out. Um, you know, is there any advice or any uh, any last things you want to say uh, to anyone out there struggling, Sam? Um, I would say two things. One is if you're not okay, that's okay. Mm. You know, it's, it's okay to not be okay. Like just know that, um, you know, you're not broken. You know, you're, you, people are never broken. They bend, people bend. We bend as guys, but we don't ever really break. Like to sit, to consider yourself broken is a dangerous road to go down because you're always going to be fixing. So it's okay not to be okay. And if you don't feel okay, that's okay too. Um, another thing is like, if you're, if you're just, thinking about getting sober or just starting any kind of journey, allow yourself to be a beginner. Always, mm. always, always allow yourself to be a beginner. Yeah. I like that, man. It just it brought me back to even when you were talking a little bit earlier about, um, you know, kind of stepping out and, and being new at something and, and worried about what people are thinking. Like you said, you moved to Mexico, mm. like what people are thinking, or I think as dudes too, we start once we stop becoming kids and we come into adulthood, we, we, we hate sucking at things. We want to just be the best. So we just stop trying new shit. And like, I always try to yeah. tell friends and like people that I talk to and on the podcast, like, man, like, don't be scared to step out and be new, be the new guy, like suck at it. Who cares? Like, that's the only way yeah. you progress and you're able to try new things out, you know? So that's a, that's some good advice right there, man. Be the new guy. I like yeah, I mean, it. Look at Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, like every year after they won championships, they went to their trainer. Like, how can I get better? What yep. can I, what, where, where can I be beginner? And yep. something new. Yeah. Why, championships. And, and, and why is that only like acceptable? I mean, it's becoming more relevant, right? But why is that so acceptable in like a, a sports environment? Like you have a coach, you have people around you, but like when we talk about life and recovery and like, uh, you know, relationships, there's still this stigma built around like having a coach or having a therapist or whatever, you know, it's crazy, man. Hopefully some of those walls are starting to be uh, broke down. Well, I think sports, I mean, it's, it's, I think sports is looked at as non-scary, non-threatening because it's sports. Yeah. Right. So sports <laughs> is like, oh, it's a, like, oh, they're athletes. Of course they can do that. But in life, no, 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 that's too scary. Yeah. So like if we can just say like the lesson is like, look, look what happened when they did that. Like yep. they, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Tiger Woods rebuilt his swing. Michael Jordan learned new things every single year. Yep. Like what's get, get fear out of the way and just do that in your life. Yeah. A little bit at a time, man. Good stuff. Well, uh, uh, where can folks reach out? Where can they find the TED Talk? Um, where can they find out a little bit more about you if they want to? Yeah, the best place to find me is on Instagram. It's at Sam Gibbs Morris. And the, the link to the TED Talk's in my bio, so you can check that out there. It's on YouTube, too, if you just want to. If you Google or search on YouTube, Sam Gibbs Morris, that'll pop up. Um, my two websites I have, one is samgibbsmorris.com. That's S-A-M-G-I-B-B-S-M-O-R-R-I-S. And then business consulting is five to flow.com. Got it. And I'll make sure to put all that stuff in uh, the show notes for everybody. So it's easy to find uh, Sam dude. It's been a really good time uh, talking with you today, man. Thanks for taking the time to come on the podcast, to share a bit, give a little bit of your experience and, uh, and, and hope and strength and all that good stuff, man. I appreciate you. Thanks brother. I really appreciate the space. Thank you. I hope something spoke to you today. Uh, Share the podcast with a friend. Uh, You can check us out at thatsoberguy.com. If you're struggling out there, reach out. 
call somebody, talk to somebody. There's always hope. We only lose when we quit. Love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Peace, love, and respect, and keep your blood clean. You're my-